Hey guys, welcome to another podcast uh, with Take Note with Adrian Fry and myself, Taylor Reese King. Um, we are going to be talking to um, Tim Sexton, who is a marching, I mean, uh, like trumpet extraordinaire. He uh, um, he got his master's in trumpet performance at Boise State University. Went to Jacksonville State, Alabama, um, J- Jacksonville State University in Alabama. Um, and then he coaches um, Armada Winds here at Boise, um, or you could say kind of CUNA-ish, Boise-ish. It, like, it <laughs> depends on the day. Um, you marched Crown in 2010 and 11, and then aged out in um, of, Spirit of uh, Spirit of Atlanta in 2012, and now you're uh, coaching the Cavies, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. On a typical summer, yeah. I'm usually touring with them, so this summer we were all home, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a bit unfortunate how coronavirus... I really wanted to watch the shows, and I know someone who was wanting to, uh, like, march with SCV, and it was really unfortunate. So, yeah, I forgot to mention, you're at uh, University of Utah now, uh, getting your DMAs in, DMA in conducting, right? Yeah, so we're, we're adapting like everybody else uh, mm-hmm. in regards to a new process and procedure yeah. of how we even do rehearsals. So it's a, it's a fun experience helping out the wind ensembles and uh, teaching music technology courses. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. G is having a fun time because he's the, uh, um, the uh, music technology guy, and now he's just, like, answering all the questions, and, like, this is his passion, you know? Yes. So oh, it's yeah. It's just kind of cool. Um, He's definitely yeah, taking the opportunity on. and just run with it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I've, <laughs> and, and I definitely took the opportunity perfect. to ask him several questions oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for my curriculum. So it's been nice. Mm-hmm. And I've been uh, um, in classes. I've been taking my uh, um, Pelican case with all of the um, my recording stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I've been uh, just recording um, and uh, recording different classes for those people on Zoom. Um, not recording, but just uh, live streaming it, so mm. they don't have to use their laptop and have really crappy audio and really crappy video. So yeah, nice. I, I've been helping out with that. Thank you, Dr. G. Without him, I would not be able to do that. <laughs> my setup Very would cool. not be the way it is right now. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. He is so helpful. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about um, basically marching band for composers, right? How how. The marching arts has affected us composers. Um, what we like different, how it can be used as a medium, um, or like any just just the caveats that go along with. That's kind of a pun off of Cavaliers. No, um, the the just <laughs> um, just just kind of how it all works. So, um, have you done shows personally? Um, and have any experience with shows that people wrote? music specifically for that one show right how did yeah. that work yes even as like a, a tech for high schools in the southeast like 10 plus years ago and as a band director in georgia and you know helping out groups like like armada and cabbies we, we see a wide variety sometimes people go for a box set uh, of music arrangements that they're looking for uh, sometimes they're looking for an original arrangement of something that's not yet uh, made for a mass production that's just intended for their group and their members. But sometimes people are looking for something that hasn't been done. Um, and how do they start that? Where do they, where do they go first? And what are they looking to emulate? Yeah. So it's it's been a mixed bag of chips. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for uh, composers, 
uh, especially um, for like march not marching band for uh, like concert band and wind ensemble uh, and um, orchestra or just small chamber groups. Um, concert band and wind ensemble are the same. I don't know why I distinguish the, between those two. Um, so we we have an expectation that they're going to at least be performed more than once, um, and we want them mm. uh, to be like put out there. But with marching band, usually it's just like a one-time deal, you know. And you compose it. That's the show, and it's presented multiple times for that one core or that one uh, high school, and then it's just ignored, and they're not going to really bring it back unless they you know want to. But it's it's not like a it's like film score. It's like only for that one uh, movie. I don't know. Right. I just find that interesting. What's your uh, what's your perspective with that? Um, I feel like it's as, it's as far or not as far as the composer would wish to take it. Uh, in a sense, it's kind of like props, right? You see certain props from a couple of years ago, like maybe from like the Doroboros Santa Clara Vanguard, the mm-hmm. the wheels that are spinning. Well, those were sold someone else is using them and it reoccurs in a different way um so sometimes certain songs can fit different show themes to where if you as a composer worked on this one specific piece that was for this group uh yet it was your own arrangement and you have it within your contract with you within you and the director that you may be working with that any original compositions are deemed as yours at use of the program not necessarily belonging to that program so in a sense, you can keep it for yourself and possibly use it for a, a similar show thing later down the road or um, a completely different show theme in which hopefully it still might uh, transverse over and make sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, a lot of it, um, th- there's really no absolute music in marching band, which I find interesting. There's no... Um, no pieces that are just for music's sakes. Um, everything really has a theme going on along with. And um, Brahms would not like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, so um, it's just kind of interesting how um, I, I don't really, I haven't really written for any plays or any, any films um, or anything. And so it's just kind of interesting that it's not only about this, um, the, the like a character or something it, it's it's like part of a story and it's designed for a theme um but i mean there are many many shows that just bring on um uh, bring just arrangements and stuff so like um blue coats 2014 had hymns of axiom i'm pretty sure it was 2014 no it was yeah. 2012 um and just like that was not written for a marching band, but um, it worked beautifully for that moment. And I don't know, I just find it interesting how the medium for marching band, like what, what it is, right? It's, it's right. a bunch of brass people, mostly brass, usually yeah. brass, and percussion. <laughs> Specifically, a really interesting aspect of percussion, I, uh, we could really dive into that. Um, and it, it's, it's to be performed outside, um, and all of, like, there, there are a bunch of um, little specific things about marching band that do not occur in any other ensemble, right? Right. Um, it's, or really it's meant anywhere to be else. Outside. Yeah, it's not to be right. anywhere yeah. else. Um, and that difference, um, especially the difference of battery versus concert percussion, 
push a lot of uh, composers away. And it's just like, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, even during right. COVID. So, um, like, I I don't know. It feels, it feels um, I get a lot of resistance from, like, myself for wanting to write for marching band because it's so different from everything else. Like, right. how do you, um, what, what is your perspective with that? Um, I, I do agree uh, to a great extent. Like, for instance, when when Crown did Bruckner, Bruckner 4, mm-hmm. I believe, they, um, you have to kind of, in a sense, when you take something that's a large masterwork or anything that's a medley or anything that you're just transcribing and putting it on the field, like you're saying, it is different. And that kind of goes back to the boxes that we need to check in the marching arts activity. And if you're wondering what those are, like it's it's so it's so fun to be able to tour during the summer and part of my gig isn't necessarily just uh, teching or getting notes to not crack or balancing chords or getting 16th note hemiolas to line up. It's, it's really uh, studying what the judges and the audience members could be looking for. Um, and from the judges' perspective, they're just looking for um, a lot of a variety of different things between featured moments, how we layer certain things based upon audience perception and expectation. So with, with that in mind, you can kind of just look back at any shows that have taken those large masterworks and condensed them and kind of see the ebb and flow in regards to the rise and fall of when those, those impact points are. Are they every 30 to 45 seconds? And in between those impact points, are they utilizing vocabulary, uh, i.e. not making everybody play the entire time? Mm-hmm. So, I, so I feel like it is a little hesitant for some concert composers to want to explore that realm because it's not necessarily your typical sonata form. Mm-hmm. You know, or anything that we might be currently practicing and applying our practice to what we're doing in our compositional studies. Um, but at the same time, it does challenge us in a variety of other ways uh, from a textural perspective. Like mm-hmm. every single show that any composer would write is very specific as if I'm the one writing the drill to it as well. Uh, every instrumentation set is going to be different. How do we balance that? And how do we compensate for certain missing, vo- missing voices? Um, so I think it provides a challenge not only from a form standpoint, but from also a textural standpoint. So I feel like those challenges are healthy for anyone who's wanting to enter the compositional uh, realm in any medium. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 certainly interesting, and there's I don't believe that composers like I I I haven't really been involved in the marching arts as deep as you have. Um, so you may completely disagree with this, um, but it feels to me um, that there hasn't been much composing for marching arts, um, and it feels like this is kind of a newer medium for composers. Um, and it's it's like it's not like it's starting to uh, skyrocket because you know it's been around for a hundred years, um, right? Or fifty? Or no, no, no. Blue Devils just uh, did their. Uh, Hundred year anniversary show, right? Nice. Yeah, or like fifty. I can't remember I can't the years. Remember. I know that they were even before drum corps DCI. There were still drum and bugle corps established mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. like 
VFWs, Boy Scout troops, uh, things of that nature. So the idea of this can honestly even be traced back to times as as early as Ives. Like they're out there doing marching mm-hmm. bands. That's one of the things that his father did and he did as well. It's just the idea of being in the marching outside outdoor environment. And um, Sousa, I mean, literally wrote marches and it's like they're meant for people to march. Right. Right. Um, and that's why they sound the way they do. Um, yep. And the first person to actually write for sitting band was when he was 18 years old. Gustav Holst wrote uh, Sweet in E flat. Um, and that's the first piece ever written for a quote unquote wind ensemble, which was just written like it was military band sitting right. down. Um, and which the history, like, what and the history of, doing? of how long uh, the, when it was first originally started to be tra- uh, transcribed and actually written out for that group to when it was completed. It's just an intricate, interesting story. Mm-hmm. I've I read a little about, bit about it, but I don't know too much. I, yeah, I spoke about it with Scott, uh, Professor Scott Hagen over at the U last year uh-huh. when we were looking through just uh, our conducting literature seminar course. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun to, to see that happen. Huh. Yeah, it's, yeah so. uh, the, the history of marching band is really interesting. And especially modern marching as opposed to traditional marching and mm. the influences it has from like ballet and um god what else uh you know more about it but it's very strongly influenced by ballet um yeah. like we learn about the four uh, the five positions and then we learn about passe relevé coupe all of these things rondejean plié um all of these all of these ballet terms but we do it in uh, Armada Winds, mm-hmm. especially. But you obviously got that from uh, your experiences in marching band. So, mm-hmm. how do you think the more modern um, way of thinking of of doing marching band, the more modern uh, techniques, has influenced the music? Gotcha. I know it's influenced Blue Devils because they yeah, went from so jazz to what they are now. Right. <laughs> yeah, and like the modern techniques influencing music has been has been quite interesting. Like you were saying earlier, there hasn't been too many original works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because, like what we were mentioning in the prior comment about audience expectation, to a sense, because if an entire show was done of original works, yes, some of our melodies may be catchy and everything well-balanced, but would they recognize it? Would they know what it is? Would it provide immediate entertainment or would it make them think, huh, I wonder what this is? So mm-hmm. with the modern style of uh, ballet, I feel like a lot of people in the movement world are just having more outlets to connect their movement to what's currently been there. Um, since the early 90s, Star of Indiana was doing a lot of it. Uh, it progressed there. You saw like Blue Knights, what was a big leader in the movement world with Robbie Billings. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Moore was big in the movement world with Carolina Crown and now Blue Coats. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of these people like Michael James, Michael Richmond, all these great choreographers in that activity um, actually trained as modern dancers when they were in college. And hmm. a lot of their modern dances, they were doing ballets. They, they were doing like their Ride of Springs. They were covering their traditional frameworks as well. So I feel like seeing a lot of that uh, that literature within the marching arts has only given that people more of an outlet to not just implement what they learn, but also adapt it to this medium because the, the coupes 
impostes that we do in, in our marching activity isn't exactly like the coupes and yeah. they would do on on the morally or on on the stage yeah so, i looked up ballet positions and they are i couldn't do them i like right. there is no way i could do them um literally like first position is like your feet are parallel collinear like right next to each other like how yeah, what I, yeah <laughs> so, there's yeah. no way it's, it's and, and from our first comment that's that's from like a judge's expectation right like uh -huh. they, they would notice they would notice if your coupe is on the side of your leg if it's cleaner but if it's behind it it might not look uniform for the entire group mm -hmm. so same kind of thing from a musical expectation like we we have to carefully layer in our original works possibly into show themes that are already pre-existing, that are surrounded by works that the audience expectation, it already fulfills that. Mm -hmm. So whenever we're creating those original works, sometimes we ha might have to ask ourselves, does this piece that I'm creating fill the voids that the other original pieces do not have? For that theme, yeah. Yeah, and, and, a, and a prime example of that as a, as a recent thing, uh, and there's a little bias in here, but Cavaliers 2018. Um, it was surrounded by great, great works. I mean, they had, who was it? Ah, ah, Rufus Wainwright. Yeah, they had Rufus Wainwright's Oh, What a World. And it was beautiful, and they had it mixed over with Bolero. So they're covering something modern and pacing it with something so traditional and something so embedded within the classical composer's realm. I mean, we're looking mm -hmm. at Ravel here and we're mixing Rufus Wainwright with this and how that melodic feel mixed with that text to create a new sense of imagery was, was beautiful. And, mm -hmm. and they layered in something in the middle. It was a piece called Let's Get Weird. Mm. And Michael Martin wrote that. Mm -hmm. And and Michael Martin is like 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 you were talking about earlier, one of one of the one of the composers who's in that classical realm, who's in modern day music, who's trying to like create new works um, for groups that are in wind ensembles and concert bands and providing entertainment inside as well. So that's a it's a fun game that, that he played with that because again he followed like in a sense of formula of expectation. And like checking those boxes, do we do we have our feature moment for the battery to start off this transition? Excellent, of course, awesome. Do we have an ensemble statement? Do we have a high brass feature? Do we have low brass moments that the judges can depict that are separate and uh, going to raise our content? Do we have a soloist? So yeah, we got the mellophone on the box over there. We're good to go. And um, it's all about how they exchange that interplay from what the judges are expecting to provide audience entertainment. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, no other ensemble um, writes, no other composer for any other ensemble writes music for judges. They're not going, oh, what are the judges for this uh, this um, festival? Like, what are they gonna think? It's like, no, the the judges are judge assessing the um, the repertoire and like how it fits with the ensemble, how the ensemble is performing said repertoire. Um, so on and so forth. So there is no, like, um, this is why I believe that marching band is a sport. I mean, it's com they're competing e with each other, um, and it's very, very athletic. Um, anyone who disagrees with me, literally fight me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's weird. Like I, like, I don't 
feel like I want to have my music be judged in such a mathematical way, but also an emotional way. I don't know. It feels weird. Like you are writing music for, I don't know. It's weird to me. I know, and I keep I, saying it's weird. <laughs> I think it fits into more like a, a formulaic sense in that, in that way. Then. Yeah. Um, you have to be, you, you can have like your own compositional voice and your own compositional ideas, like within the, the general piece, but you can't be like, you know, super weird and, uh, atonal with it or, you know, things like that. Um, you can't really get into the more like, um, John Cage side of things or, you right. know, like the more, those mm -hmm. more things. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and you gotta be, you do dabble in the atonal or semitonal. Um, or just neoclassical sense where you're just establishing a beat based upon a pulse or anything like that. It's, yes, it can happen, but for how long? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause, cause you also have to think about the audience and like, um, you, you want to make them stay yeah, you don't want to like, it. you know, make them like, Oh, you know, now it's time to go get popcorn. You'd be like, no, you're going to listen to us. So how yeah. much of that stuff do they want to take? You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think yeah. the, yeah. Um, SCV 2018, uh, yeah, 2018, Babylon, um, the very beginning, like, I did not, I mean, okay, the very beginning was, like, ballad-esque, but then it got to, like, it got complex and, uh, really loud and in-your-face, and I was, this, I was, I was going, this is not SCV, who the hell is in front of me right now, <laughs> what on earth did you do with these people, and it was, it blew me away, um, just how right. different they were, but, um, that's not real. That's like getting, uh, into that. Right. But it, yeah, it's interesting. Like you're, you're targeting a very specific audience through a very specific sound, very specific medium. Yeah. Um, and it has to be outside. It's in a football field. You have percussion that really can't change. Um, and, uh, there was one show this year that had, uh, like sinks and literally pieces of garbage, um, for <laughs> <laughs> their show. And, no, not this year. Last year, um, the last one I watched. Um, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, and in addition to that, um, one thing that I feel like I'm I would be concerned about um, being like if I if I were like writing music for this or um, just being in, more involved in drum corps, um, I feel like every show eventually is like going to turn into the same thing mm. um, because right now we're starting to see that. You have a fast section, a slow section, and then a fast section. And that's really kind of you, what you see. And it's coming from the judges. It's, com like, it's coming from that strict um, mm. strictness of what you want, right? Yeah. And um, drum corps are, like, I see some of them really trying to uh, stretch uh, what it is, what, they're, what the, the, the strictness. Um, yeah. And I really love those shows. But at the same time, they get low scores or they don't. Like, it's really weird. Yeah, and so, I feel it's like it's also, it's also one of those adaptation things, kind of like mm -hmm. when you mentioned SCV, it didn't necessarily sound like them, uh, because 2018's Horn Line had a different set of technology, audio engineering, and amplification compared to, like, say, 2008. Um, mm -hmm. So it just has a different layering there. And in regards to the movement idea, how that is also adapting in the same light, it's progressing forward. We're seeing people take these, like we were talking about the 30 to 45 second expectation of impact moments, whether it's like a level five or like a level eight or like seven or 10, like what whatever impact moment it is. Yeah, like, um, like ensemble hits 
or big moments for for the and audience. And they're they're ranked from scale to uh, like one to ten. Like right, oh, this yeah, is a yeah, level yeah. five yeah, kid. Yeah. This is, really, I didn't really think about that. Okay. Yeah, and we, we kind of briefly touched on that with our motto like a little bit before December um, in regards to which moments are the biggest um, mm. and which ones are have the most primary emphasis and impact. But we're seeing that some people are taking that expectation and say after one of those big ensemble moments, say you've already had one movement and it's only went on for maybe a minute and a half, they're already transferring into a new idea. So instead of like three mm-hmm. movements, it's like scenes. And mm. different scenes, different scenes can com- compile to be acts. Okay. Mm. So in a sense, now we're seeing people take that adaptation of the three movement idea. Yeah, that's act one, act two, act three now. But, but there's huh. certain scenes within those. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then that, fir- that first act can have like maybe two to three scenes. And then your second movement, your low area can have two to two emotions and then the end take take maybe one new emotion while continuing into a, a, a reprise of what you just established so we're seeing and that's mold basically a that's kind of how film structures work that's how play structures work so yeah you're turning it into less of a um, fr- from like sonata form or whatever into uh, like into a, interesting. That's right. I hadn't really thought about it that way. And and oddly, okay. oh, do you think that the visual aspect of the the shows has influenced that more? So it's it's kind of like taking oh, on yeah. that structure because it's a visual aspect to it as well. For sure. Whether it whether it be just creating the drill itself um, in regards to expressing a new idea. If you were if you were linear, you're looking for more curved linear. Looking for a mixture of both. Um, or if you're looking from a prop perspective, how that's guiding your show from a design standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you can see it with, with groups that have the budget that can facilitate it. You can definitely see how they use certain props to quote unquote, set the stage, uh, for what they're doing. Uh, and like you were mentioning earlier, it's very similar to plays. And I feel like a lot of groups have taken taken this into account from a show design perspective or even a compositions perspective of what you're trying to achieve. And they look back at groups that kind of like did that first. And, and thankfully I got to, I got to perform with this group, but blast brass theater, they, they, they had acts. They had two large acts with several emotions in between that they labeled as colors of the color spectrum. Right. Okay. And is that what like Japan you, was for you? What you did uh, in Japan? Yeah, 2014's version. Kind of like, okay. for instance, they, and the reason they use those different um, little transitions because of colors, they started out with Malaganya. It was red, or mm-hmm. red at the end, rather. Uh, you have, you know, just different emotions, like Medea was black because it was dark, and it was very, you know, the storytelling behind that. So, yeah, they definitely were one of the first groups to kind of do what we're talking about, to to break from the structure because they were star of Indiana and created their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to expand it into a longer production that, that was on Broadway. And now I feel like groups that like we were referencing earlier, they're trying to mimic that in a way, but condense it down into six to 10 minutes worth of time. <laughs> right, okay. So do you think if we uh, started like a division, like without judges, do you think that people would get like a, a lot more experimental with things and like maybe be able to try different things? And 
I feel like it would have. I feel like it would have pros and cons for, you know, co- compositions and, and programs if the judges were there or not there. Um, because if the judges weren't there, in a sense, yes, the entertainment value would be would be astounding. It would be, it would be great. But I think it would only take a few years of there being no. Expectation. No, no competitive aspects to it. Right. For yeah. when, when you come to a show four years later, you're like, wait, what, what activity is this again? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because one group just might be a, a marching woodwind choir with, with a electronic percussion, <laughs> you know? And, yeah, yeah. And then you might see a group come in, it's like, oh, we're, we're only marching brass and we have two snares, three bass drums, and one tenor drum uh, or, so, or something of that nature. So it would be... Mm-hmm. It would just be even more of a variable, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like it would also like maybe drive a little bit more people like away from it. Because a couple of my friends, um, they they love drum corps, but just because of the competitive aspect of it. Right, and me, mm-hmm. I just I just like the high notes. It was fun, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, kind of branching off of that, what do you think about um, doing marching band like one show? marching band just for marching band's sake i mean it's kind of like absolute march absolute music but marching band and like um it, it it's i don't know i feel like that competitive aspect i mean it, yeah. it it's healthy competition it's good competition um and it really brings in a lot um however nobody knows any of these um lower tier marching bands at all right. and i feel like um like i couldn't name any um, I feel like it would be better for those if they didn't like compete with the uh, in the same bra- like they're not in the same brackets, but if they didn't compete in the same um, with DCI, if they went to um, just like they did their own shows and it's like a concert, a symphony orchestra concert. It's like, hey, um, we're doing these three shows together. Let's show you what no pun intended. We're showing you where we're going on. Uh, it's going. Yeah. On. It's like D three for us. Right for Blue Thunders, like we are taking yep. two of our shows and the pregame, and we're it's all about us, okay? And we're not competing, right? And it's an exhibition. I yeah. What do you think about that and doing just a concert for marching band? I feel like that's it's very healthy. I and honestly, even from a show perspective, um, a lot of groups have dabbled with with that as a concept in itself. Um, in a mm-hmm. sense of kind of like sticking it to the judges, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you look back as early as Madison Scouts in the 80s, you know, Drum Corps Fans Dream, part one and part two, that they, in the, those different years, they're literally saying to the judges in a sense, like, hey, we don't, we don't care if you like this or not, we're doing this for us and we're doing this for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, are some, there are some shows nowadays that are more modern that that also dabble with that, like in the WGI world, seeing uh, mm-hmm. Bizarre Bizarre, I believe it was from Onyx, I can't recall exactly the group, but they did a show called Bizarre Bizarre just to get the wow factor from the audience um, and also just reaffirm to the judges and validate to them, like, hey, we're doing this for us and for mm-hmm. art and entertainment value. And I feel like in the smaller scale, it would be a great environment just to see different ensembles in a sense surrounding the field um you know pre-covid times of course but uh either being in the stands uh for themselves in a sense and just their parents and their family you know it could be not necessarily a friend endeavor just like a sense 
like you rent out a giant stadium and you say that it's just going to be band practice, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't really hire any adjudication uh, or, fi- or necessary field judges for that matter. The band directors of the district or whatever, what have you, compile together and they just say that we're going to run it ourselves. And everybody just goes out there and performs for one another. I feel yeah. like that kind of vibe is, is what's lost for those who only see the numbers within it. Like yeah, the people. And- and it being a tat- marching band only existing because of football, I mean, really, that's they, they attach those two things together. And without football, Blue Thunder wouldn't happen, really. I mean, that, and yeah. we're seeing that now with Blue Thunder really not doing much besides, like, hey, we're doing, like, stand tunes and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, we're not doing any shows, and mm-hmm. we totally could. Um, like, if, if there wasn't COVID, if there was no football, no COVID we should do shows and um, perform shows just for the, just for, hey, marching bands, come in, just watch our shows for us. Um, and I think that type of thing, um, get rid of football completely. Football is great. I hate it, but like, I, I understand <laughs> like why it exists. <laughs> but um, I, I think we need to take marching band away from it and have it be its own thing because um, there are only really two types of marching band. You have competitive and football, and it's really frustrating. And then also going off of what you said with um, the uh, Cavalier, no, um, who who was it that in 2090, in the 80s? Uh, Scouts, Scouts. Scouts, Scouts, yeah. Um, They, uh, Mr. Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan did a similar thing with uh, Bora, and a lot of people are like, God, that guy, I mean, they're just doing jazz every year. It's like, jazz, 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 get out of your uh, uh, Blue Blue Devils 80s time. It's like, we're over that. It's like, that, that's not why he did it. Um, people thought it was about his ego. Sullivan is not egotistical. He's, uh, he's not at all. Um, it's because, um, like, the, the players, most of the players were not in jazz band. And so they didn't have an exposure to jazz. And um, he wanted to give them that opportunity. And he didn't like the modern, um, the, the just, oh, we're just, we're doing a show and it's all about the numbers. It's like, we're doing this to have fun, but also it's cool if we win, you know, that type of thing. Right. Um, and that experience for me, marching uh, Bora, uh, was really cool. Um, and it was really fun. I didn't really care about winning, and I still don't give a crap about winning. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that gave it more life, I feel. And if if they just took away football and did stuff like that, it's like, hey, we're going to put together this concert to educate you on marching band. Like, uh, say if there's a marching band, a um, marching band degree or something, and um, we're going to educate you on how to lead a marching band, all of this stuff. And then uh, have a concert for the marching band, like there is for Symphonic Winds, and there is for uh, All Campus Band, and uh, all of these things. Yeah. It's just marching band. Um, I feel like composers would be much more inclined to offer their services and uh, put themselves out there because it's not being judged. Um, right. It can be way more than just once, and it's not like, oh, this is a only Blue Devils type of thing, and we're trying to expand um, and, and create. I, I don't know. It, it just it's 
I feel like the competitive aspect, as it is great, it can take away a lot of the potential of what marching band mm-hmm. could be and what composers can contribute. Right. And that's like the fine balance in a sense that I feel like every nonprofit organization, whether it be WGI, DCI, um, BOA, U.S. Mm. Bands, uh, in regards to their adjudication mm. system, they are trying to streamline it more towards general effect, which in a sense is their perception of certain audience enjoyment of that cleanliness. And so a larger factor of your score is now factored by that. So they're trying to toe the line between, well, if we are having to rank these people, because in a sense, that's what it is. You're not really saying, oh, this band is a 94 while this band is a 68. It's like, no, you just got to go one to done in the order that you prefer based on your caption. And the numbers just have to fall in its place based on that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is a little discouraging in a sense for a lot of people. Um, for me, I, I know that whenever I was marching with Carolina Crown, like we were in the top few and won a, won a brass award, and that was great. Uh, whenever I aged out at Spirit of oh, Atlanta, we were, brass. we were in like 11th or 12th. And you know what? That For me, that didn't dictate, that didn't determine like the amount of fun or the, the, the experience educationally or from a performance standpoint that I was having. Um, it just, that, that wasn't necessarily what, what drove me. It was the, uh, the ever humbling journey of chasing perfection and harnessing adrenaline in front of thousands of people while you're the only one playing. I think that's what drove me. <laughs> but I feel like if we wouldn't have football as that medium, like you were saying earlier, like what if football didn't exist? Uh, what if marching bands would have started with, in the Ives era and a little bit before in Susan, things of that nature, and just kept going? Like what would they be? And in a sense, I feel like it would have adapted around parades, like such as Macy's uh, parades out in Pasadena. And if you look up some of those groups online, you can check out how some of them, honestly, they, they put music and visual design together for this. Like, yeah, they'll be in their lines for like their battery cadence or their wind cadence. Sometimes they have either or, but if they get to their stopping point in front of the crowd, they turn to the side and they literally put like a miniature wind show on the floor in the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I've seen that. It's it's just it's pretty so awesome. entertaining, and I, I think that that's it provides a good environment. Like uh, nothing nothing beats the environment and the vibe at like Fourth of July parades, like in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, Chicago, Illinois, Bristol, Rhode Island, like all these excellent places that are rooted in American culture. And there are so many high school bands. There's marching bands. There's community bands. And you know what? Not a single judge in sight. Yeah, and it's great. And I really, I really like that. And I feel I'm not going to be able to do it. I know, like I'm, I'm just a junior in college, and um, I'm just one voice upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people when it comes to marching arts. But I feel like we need to bring, like, take marching band away from football, um, because honestly, a lot of the people that are um, watching the football game mm-hmm. don't care as much about um, the band at all. I mean, my parents only go just for the band, but that's because of me. And also right. Blue Thunder is amazing. But 
um, when it comes to when it comes to the football fans, it's just like that's just background noise, just like they put yeah. on their headphones and listen to headphones while they do their work. And I can't do that. I I'm, I will only focus on the music. But um, I, f- I I really um, I really like that idea of the parades, and I've, I've watched the uh, Thanksgiving parade, things uh, the one in uh, George no. Um, is that, it? uh, Macy's in New York? Macy's, New- yeah, yeah. And they have marching bands go in, and they're just performing for performers' sake. And yeah. the people are there to watch the performances, watch all the cool things that happen. And yeah. that env- environment is really cool. And yeah. I think it's much better for um, the less competitive mindset bands like Bora um, to be able to flourish. And it's mm-hmm. it's not about winning, right? And I know you you um, personally don't feel like it's about winning, but I know that there are people out there that it's just that yeah. only care about the numbers, yeah. And the numbers don't matter at and all. I feel like I feel like <laughs> my inner director side feels two things in a sense, and uh, I'll go off the most recent one. Yeah, numbers don't matter at all, and it's not gonna it's not gonna determine whether I have a good time. But I want that but, good. I want that good score. Yeah, like, I want, yeah, I want, yeah, to, yeah. I want them to recognize <laughs> that work that y'all have put in, uh, or whatever group I'm in front of. I want them to, in a sense, like validate those efforts, if if they're just deserved, and 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 I wish a lot of the my administration from being a band director kind of jumps in as well from just the standpoint of what would it be if there if it wasn't a football additive. Um, and the biggest thing that comes to mind right now is just the, the budget aspect um, yeah. of what it pays. Yeah. And, and so many colleges, very, very similar to a, a Boise State in that matter, um, yeah. a lot of colleges, marching bands are not through the music department in a sense. Um, they're just through yeah, the through athletics. athletics. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of, uh, it's different in different communities that I've seen, like, in Alabama is different than Georgia. Georgia is different than Idaho. California is different than Texas. And and all of my friends that are working in those places, you know, can testify to that environment just being different. But thankfully, my undergrad experience, we we had a very fortunate circumstance with with the marching Southerners. Like our marching band was through the music department. Um, we great relationship with athletics. They. They often accommodated our 500 plus member marching band to uh, perform before the shows or, do, or, or in the halftime or after or mixture of both. Um, if we had, say if we had a Saturday competition at a high school over in Georgia, we'd cross over the state line and go play for them, but we would still be able to play the pre-halftime show before the football game, okay. hop on and play like two quarters worth for the football game. And then after the football game, everybody hop on a bus together and go perform for hundreds and thousands of kids at an exhibition outside of Atlanta, you know? So Mm. it's pretty cool how the bittersweetness and the double-edged sword of us being a football additive can also contribute to those additional performance experiences for those who are going Mm. through it. You know what I mean? So like there's there's Mm. a great part of me who's like, oh yeah, I just... I wish it was its own thing. I mean, in a sense, that's kind of why I started the wins group in Boise. Yeah. Uh, like, like, hey, let's let's do WGI. It's not necessarily football based. You can still get your vegetables that you need from the movement perspective and the musical perspective alike. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's an interesting world in regards to budget and 
what certain groups can do with it and what what certain limitations kind of come without it and the challenges that poses on um, directors and, and composers looking to seek out uh, compositional work. So like for those of those of y'all who are wanting to write for marching bands, uh, it's all about just establishing that communication and grabbing a, grabbing your first few groups. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar to us getting on the job market as soon as we're out of undergrad. They're like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. well, you fit our requirements. But you it doesn't look like, yeah, it's yeah, like, you don't no have experience. experience. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, how I do we have experience? experience. We, they're like, exactly. well, you need experience for the job. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> have you watched exactly. the college humor? Um, the college humor. Um, you're just you're just out of your undergrad, and the person's going to the, uh, um, the enlightened person asking for seeking help, and we go through that concept. Yeah. And, oh my God! It's so <laughs> it's funny. Like, I love I love college experience. humor. <laughs> right. And, and so it's, it's so all good. about finding your first few clients, uh, in a sense, mm-hmm. and just and and that's the cool part about it. If if there's a great streamline of communication from you as a composer, because in in the marching arts a- aspect, you you are a musical designer at that point. Like, mm-hmm. you're not just somebody who does podcasts. You're an audio engineer. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know what I mean. It's kind of like that. So if you've got that great communication with the director, and if that director has a clear communication of what they want, um, mm-hmm. or what they're looking to benefit from in regards to a show production, um, and you work well with your visual designers on that, like it can really be something that can uh, in, enlighten you from a textural perspective, depending upon the numbers of the group, and also challenge you mm-hmm. and and. Um, force us to, in a sense, to adapt much like we all are right now. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a humbling journey. I would suggest like seeking out directors and doing that because like, like you were talking about in the first couple statements of the podcast, when we write for groups in the indoor setting, A, it's hard to get a lot of play for those compositions to be read or trusted from the indoor scholarly standpoint. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for some directors, not all. A lot of directors mm-hmm. are all about, you know, premiering new works, and I think that I think that's excellent. I think that's lovely. But there's also just a lot of work for you in in the marching arts in comparison to what might be your individual endeavors of trying to get your own piece published or do this, that, and the other. Um, mm-hmm. Getting a few shows that are either public domain or your original works, or if the directors have the budget for licensing and copyright through Traytona, uh, then, then you, mm-hmm. you, you can, you can be creative. It's just an opportunity to create really, which I think is, it's just a very fortunate thing. We, we all were, we were all left for half a year without the opportunity to kind of create with others, at least mm-hmm. from an in-person setting. Um, so reaching out to marching bands who are going on next year, hopefully if things are back to normal because i know that i've i've written some shows thus far this year who some are yeah, being played and some that. will never be performed nice yeah. and I, so. I guess that's just kind of the thing with composing though mm-hmm. is because especially with like um just artists in general like mainstream artists talk about it all the time as well how they have like thousands upon thousands of songs but they only release like a couple hundred right um mm-hmm. it's, it's really just part of that
had a question. Um, do you think we should start, uh, or composers should start writing um, for pep band first, or should they just jump right into a marching band show? Or how do you think that, or does it matter? <laughs> um, I, I feel like that's entirely dependent upon said composer's prior experiences and that and that prior knowledge base of, um, or just content they've gotten to observe prior to then. Um, regardless, I think that a great way to kind of go for is to, before you lay out your entire score, I, I know several successful composers who strictly still do it in an SATB format. They don't really look at all the instrumentation first. Um, and within the soprano, alto, tenor, bass voices, they write uh, two moving parts, right, in a sense. Uh, one that might either carry that melody, one that might be supportive, something rhythmic or something, whatever you may be looking for. And then they, they take that and then they expand it. And no matter whether it's a pet band work or whether it's a marching band work, uh, I think that one of the best forms of acknowledgement uh, and flattery is emulating. So if you, if you like a pet band tune that you really like, but you really haven't seen the notation on it, like uh, LSU plays neck, right? You're like, oh, I, I love that pet band tune. I want to arrange neck for my group. Uh, don't look it up. Think, think about the SATB flow, uh, throw that in there as like a skeleton or a blueprint uh, for yourself mm -hmm. and expand upon it. Um, and then like after that, if you know somebody who might have that arrangement, then looking that arrangement and kind of like double checking like your transcribing skills or, or anything of that nature. Like for instance, in the drill writing world, a lot of people, uh, they, they take the instrumentation of, either a marching band or a drum corps show, um, like Carmel 2013, like, Oh, I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to contact Richard Henshaw and I'm going to, I'm going to ask him for the numbers and just clarify and, on Carmel, uh, and see, I think he's at Avon. He's not a Carmel, but anyway, you just look at that instrumentation and you pretty much write that show. Like you follow it and you plug in those dots and you learn kind of how that, how that designer visually thinks much like if you look at a score and you're studying that score in regards to voice leading or shared responsibility from melodic material or how the ebb and flow of uh, their music would go, you learn about the composer. So mm -hmm. yeah, pet band or marching band depends on prior experience. Um, and I guess what are, what is that person looking to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, with both of those pet band and marching band, I mean, they're basically the same ensemble, but without front, ensemble mm -hmm. um the except for blue thunder they're the same ensemble um what's what's interesting um with marching band and what makes it so different um i think the key aspect is the percussion um you are not going to find any of that percussion anywhere else in uh <laughs> anywhere i mean literally you will not find it mm -hmm. um in any other uh, ensemble, except for the front ensemble that's taken from orchestral um, percussion, right? But you're not going to see marching snares in a concert band, or if you do, yeah. it's so rare. Or tenors, they're going to be just tom-toms. Right. Um, or uh, marching bass drums, why would you have that? Uh, what's interesting <laughs> is that those um, instruments, they are designed to not only emulate the sounds of of um, 
the orchestral percussion. I mean, and but they're intended to be loud, just yeah. because you're outside. Yep. And you need eight snares, eight snares, just to be able to get them heard um, by four hundred, uh, by two thousand people, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I don't know how big the uh, uh, is it Indiana, how big that stadium is, how many people it fits, but a lot of people, and it needs to be heard by everyone. Um, and that percussion, it's designed to make it heard in a football stadium, the yeah. whole football stadium. And to kind um, of tie one, in that's what, what you were saying so with what Adrian was mentioning, uh, yeah. that's, that's honestly why a lot of composers do start with pet band works, because that, that mm-hmm. variable in regards to the length of material that you're doing and the battery instrumentation aspect, that's why they kind of go more of along the pet chart route. It's, mm. it's simpler. Yeah, and in, um, in what's also pretty crazy, um, and we talked a little bit about this, Adrian and I, with Bear, um, just talking about how percussion works, how you want to write for percussion. Um, I, I take a lot of my influences from battery writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people may not like that, um, but at the same time, some people actually really do. Um, with battery percussion, um, writing for it, you have to say exactly what they're going to do. Actually, no, not just battery percussion. Just all marching band, you have to tell them exactly what to do, exactly what dynamic, because they have it down to a science. And it's very mathematical, like percussion, like snare, mezzo piano is two inches off. Right? I don't know the exact uh, thing, but it's it's exact, and you have to have it in the right place, or if you move it ever so slightly off, it's going to be a different timbre. Right. And if you have different timbres with eight different percussionists, it's going like you're going to have eight different sounds, and you want mm-hmm. one sound, right? Yeah. And so the difference with percussion uh, it, with when it comes to marching band versus uh, orchestral writing, that's another thing that really provides, a, I mean, gets a lot of resistance from new composers. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I don't want to touch percussion because it's so complex. And that's, and that's honestly why most uh, most composition people who are looking to dabble into the marching realm, if they typically have only had right experience writing in the concert setting, like we're saying, that marching aspect is so different. Who do you know or that you can network with and connect with to where you share the weight, you share, you, you share the burden that is their, their musical book. Um, I know that my, my friend, John Bratton, uh, we have a friend who we collaborate with named Josh Faust. Um, Josh is a percussionist who um, marched Music City Mystique, the, one of the premier indoor percussion groups outside of uh, Tennessee. Um, so mm-hmm. pretty much... He is our battery arranger and collaborating on the pit work as well. And it's all about finding, in a sense, those um, younger and hungry people who, who are kind of like looking for that work, to looking to create, to figure out, hey, how can we collaborate to make something uh, unique and worthwhile for these kids? So. Mm-hmm. And um, what's... what's uh... What's his name? Matt, from um, Mr. Clay, I should say, because he's now yes. the band director at Mr. Bora. Clay. Um, yeah, he. Um, it, it's interesting how they split uh, writing for music uh, for marching band. With any other ensemble, you don't split the percussion with the rest of the ensemble. The percussion is part of it. Mm-hmm. But with marching band, 
because they're so different. Mar- marching wins is not that different from uh, concert writing. Um, I, I, I don't know if you you feel different, but really it's it's the same. Still music, um, yeah. It's, it's loud. Mm. Obviously, the instruments are designed to be directional. Um, they're supposed to, like, point the bell, aim the gun, shoot. Um, you know, that, that's what Mr. Sullivan would say. Um, <laughs> and a little bit rough around the edges, but, like, he's right. Right. So um, with, with percussion, like, you give that percussion uh, to – you give the writing percussion to um, someone like Matt, and he did that with Centennial, right? Yeah. Um, and he wrote the percussion for it because the composer who wrote the show did not – who. He wrote the percussion, or she wrote the percussion, but did not do a good job because they're not a percussionist. They don't know what they're doing. Exactly. Right? Um, and I've I wrote the um a, a show that I can't really say the title of because it's not legal. Um, and I uh, I had a lot of fun writing the percussion part, and I showed it to um I showed it to Matt, I showed it to Sean Malarkey, I showed it to um the other Matt tenor player, um and DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, all uh, the, the four uh, wait I didn't show it to a cymbal player but really they just crash and go I'm kidding they don't only do that <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen those like sick cymbal tricks they are yes. so cool they're yeah. so oh my god it's amazing yeah good cymbals are really good <laughs> yeah look up look up Chelsea Levine Chelsea Levine is changing uh, the, the marching arts community in regards to plates cymbals being used as mm-hmm. a musical not just uh a substitute, but it's a driving factor oh. in, into the musical and visual moments. She created mm-hmm. what you might have heard of called Seabine, like the gloves. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and just, now the masks yeah. and the covering. That's the Chelsea, covering. That's Chelsea yeah. Levine. One of her first couple of years okay. checking was at Spirit of Atlanta when I was aging out. So All right. she's, she's a great instructor. Um, she's definitely like driving the force. I guess you can say behind, behind the, the symbols in the percussion world, very much like Jack Borland did, and in regards to, in regards to the percussion writing aspect with the percussion, uh, you see, like Brett Kuhn, DCI Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. uh, incredible battery rider, you know, um, we got Mike McIntosh, incredible, uh, innovative mind, they're they're able to take so many concepts that we could use as rangers and implement into our own writings. Like, say, for instance, you have uh, tempo transition. You're like, okay, I'm looking to go from this tempo to that tempo, and it's immediate. But is there a certain triplet partial within the prior tempo that can set you up for eighth notes in the next tempo? So, like, they, they kind of can, you know, figure out different ideas like that. I remember hearing, you know, Mike McIntosh do that on the spot in 2018. He goes, oh, I'm going to rewrite this tonight. It'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> and the back, back like, measure and a half. One and two and one and two and. And I was like, whoa. That's so cool. I was like, whoa, that used to be triplets, and now it's eight notes. Yeah, we need the new tempo, so here we are. So. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've um, read a couple, like, how to manage percussion, how to write for percussion. And there's a lot of that. Um, I I don't know, what was the term you described it as? Uh, Where you're in triplets and then you go to the hemiola and now you're in that new tempo? Uh, I didn't didn't really, I don't know if I said a term. I'm trying to remember. I know there's a definition for it. I mean, not a definition. It's kind of like musical foreshadowing. Just uh, 
No, there. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what. That's basically what it is. But there's an actual term right. for that, and I downloaded a PDF that described it. Nice. And I'm pulling it up now. Very cool. Um, yeah. Uh, general music. Uh, writing for marching percussion. Here we are. It's like two pages. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Marching percussion is it's a very there's a lot of small things that are actually like incredibly important, and it makes the stuff like it, when you break it down. When you break down the sheet music, it's really simple. Yeah. Um, but they add so many embellishments um, that if you basically translated tra- translated translated that to a horn uh, lick, I mean, it'd just be notes all over the place and you couldn't really tell what was going on but um really if you just break it down it's very simple and that concept um is a real it's a leading uh concept in it yeah unison writing metric modulation yes no that's yes yes metric modulation yes so like going 16 notes now you're in the new tempo yeah right yeah um, yeah, he's a whiz. I use that actually. Yeah, and I use that actually for teaching my students how to uh, subdivide between different uh, subdivisions. Oh, like nice. Subdivisions. Very so cool. You're, um, and going to duplets one and two and one and two and one and a two and a one and a two and a one two three four one and two and one and two and one triplet two triplet one triplet two triplet and yeah. doing that, um, and either with just triplets or fivelets or whatever. Um, literally it te- it's teaching you that level of subdivision and metric modulation and it's really helpful very helpful mm-hmm. um, for outside of just percussion I mean it, it branches so right. much so oh yeah here's the uh, height systems pianissimo is one inch mezzo piano is six inches uh, like and they have exact um, heights that you have to play and yeah. it's crazy one, three, I mean, I've one, read through three, all of this and it's just nines like, and twelves yeah it's very exact and yeah and i think the reason one is, three six nine twelve fifteen yeah. yeah and we see so many specificities from uh in compositions from a percussion and a wind standpoint uh like we we're saying sometimes more so in the marching mm-hmm. arts because the environment doesn't necessarily cater itself to hiding anything uh mm-hmm. being outside, yeah it's very visual it's very too. it's very uh evident if if little johnny's yeah. playing a piano but oh old Bob is playing at Fortissimo, you're like, whoa, what's written there? And everybody's like, oh, nothing. Okay, well, there, there's why. Yeah. You know? And you can also see their stick heights are different, and you're not going to see that from, uh, if you're in a concert setting. Right. Um, if you have two snare players, it's just like, they sound different. Uh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just playing two different snares, right? But with, um, with, um, marching percussion, like, it is, really easy to see what is the mistake yeah and that that's the concept that is really important for marching bands right in any marching band of any caliber it's like everyone if everyone is doing everything right if you are one step out or if you do something wrong you will be noticed mm-hmm. so if you make a mistake stay making that mistake like if you're if you're slightly out of line stay there don't move 
you will draw attention to yourself. Don't, don't do the girl and like that, shit. Right. To like, no. Swi- yeah. <laughs> and lean over into the line. Yeah. And kind of like you were saying, um, draw, drawing attention. I feel like that's that's one thing that we can kind of layer into some advice that I would have for composers who are looking to either start in the marching arts or um, tips for composers who are, are currently new to the marching arts realm. Um, and it's mostly uh, communicating with that director in regards to A, their expectations, but also like the strengths and weaknesses of their program. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, use, I love sending out forms to the groups that I work with visually um, and, and musically for that matter. And I ask them by section. I was like, what are their strengths? What are their weakness for both music and visual? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, do you have any younger develop we'll call it younger developing players within this section if so how how many i.e are you looking at like a billion freshmen and two seniors uh that's what you're trying to find out mm-hmm. uh and things of that nature or like i like the what i like the vernacular you're using right yeah yeah um, very smart plus like you have really bad players and good players it's younger right. development i like yes, that younger developing yeah. and, uh, and and honestly <laughs> we all are in a sense but i, I feel yeah. like it's, it's even more evident for us as composers if we're if we if we're writing for this group and they're asking for a grade 3.5 book and, and we put and we put the range and the rhythmic challenges within that that would be 3.5 to 4 for that person that they asked for but they forgot to mention oh we lost half of our clarinets last year can you rewrite? Can you rewrite this part for us? You know, so I feel like just the uh, answer is probably going to be no. It's, <laughs> it's a struggle with that. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> that communication between uh, composer and director, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of their program will really just, I guess, lessen the frustrations for all involved. Uh, and mm-hmm. and honestly, I feel like that's so, the things that sometimes we as directors may be hesitant to provide because we don't want to seem as if we're micromanaging. But it's mm-hmm. also some of the things that the composer, the freelance designer side of me is may be hesitant. You know, I've, I've learned now in different ways that I can go about it for myself to ask about certain strengths and weaknesses of their program. But if we're, if we're just starting in, in this environment, it, we might be hesitant um, as, as in fear of not wanting to put that person off. You know, or yeah, yeah. or that we or that we're needy as as a, a freelance designer with them, and they're like, oh, I just want somebody who's just going to write my book and not worry about anything. You know, you know, and I feel like ultimately it's it's great to ask because it's it's better to ask and to know what you're what you're going for rather than to ask nothing, do what you think is great, and it not be what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come on, Taylor. <laughs> Sorry, that's a. Adrian keeps saying right on. Um, I know. That's just a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's. You know the micromanaging. This is what we talked with uh, my friend Bear about in his podcast, um, and he said, you know, the orchestra, uh, orchestral, uh, orchestration online guy was saying you shouldn't micromanage your percussionists. Um, you should say describe the sound you want and let them make it, let them figure it out. Um, and I was arguing the opposite direction. It's like, it's more about working with the percussionist, finding the sound you want, and then you're saying, that's the sound I want, that's how you're going to do it from then on out, right? Um, 
I forgot where I was going with that, and it mildly applied. Very, very. Yeah, yeah, it, de it definitely did. It's, like, it's because we we no no we yeah it did. Works with the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it you're working with that ensemble. You need to find the strengths and weaknesses of that ensemble. If you're okay, yeah, young composers or uh, anyone who is writing for anything, and someone goes, uh, someone commissions you to write a piece. Um, be sure you ask, what are your players? Who are your players? What are they doing? Like, mm -hmm. uh, do you have any good solo players? Um, anyone mm -hmm. that are, are, is okay being exposed. Um, understand your instrumentation. Understand their limits. Understand their capabilities. Um, understand how your director, the, the commissioner, wants to um, challenge their players. And so you can create that challenge for them. Yeah. That's a really important concept. And it doesn't only apply to marching. Right? It, right, it applies to literally everything. Yeah, right. Most um, definitely, whether it's so, whether it's me rehearsing an ensemble at the U. Yeah, um, I, I went in last night, and Dr. Rawlings said, "Hey, I know that you had been studying the Aways, and uh, is it cool after you conduct the Aways, and can you come in and do the Farkas for the woodwind quintet?" And uh, I was like, just making sure I'm, I wasn't supposed to study it, right? He goes, "No, I'm throwing this on you. Is that okay?" I go, "Yes, totally, fine. That's gonna be great." <laughs> it's just, and, and, it's, and, and it was great. It was, it's, it's kind of just what you make of it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like those kind of moments are excellent and challenging us, you know, uh, because it, allowed, it allows me to see my, my strengths and weaknesses um, for what it is that I'm doing, whatever activity it may be. Um, you know, addressing those for myself, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And that goes into programming music, too, mm -hmm. right? Um, understand your ensemble, um, see the strengths and weaknesses, program music around it. And that's basically, it's a less um, personal, less, um, yeah, personal way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could either get a pay a commissioner, I mean, pay a composer to write music specifically for that ensemble or find something that is a really close fit. And one is going to be easier than the other, but... Um, and like one is going to be cheaper the than the other. <laughs> right. Yes, one is going to yeah. be way cheaper than the other. <laughs> so. And the cool um, thing about that for y'all yeah. in your role right now, if you're wanting to dabble in the marching arts composition stuff, is most people are spending a lot of money for, for their design. A lot of people out there are spending, in, in what I feel, way too much money. Some people are spending over five grand per designer, sometimes 10 grand per designer. And if, and if you are going that competition route, that's great. But so many designers over a long period of time have just upped their prices to the four to 6K range just because, oh, well, I've been doing this since 1984, son. That's why my prices are the way they are now. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for a lot of you to say, I can write your show for 750 or a thousand bucks. You save their program large percentage but they know that you're providing work that you're you're efficient in that you're that you're studying this is what you do um and like like i do with all the programs like that i work with like we just got to let them know we're willing to grow that we're willing to change anything that they want to see changed um to fit what their program's looking for and you know you do that a couple times you've got clients for years and you grab mm -hmm. a few group, a couple groups one year, turn group, two groups turn into four, four groups turn into six, mm -hmm. six groups turn into 10, and then you, you've paid your rent for the entire year, you know? <laughs> so. 
and then you up your prices to six grand, and then <laughs> and then you can, tell, um, and then you can yeah. tell someone, son, I've been doing this since two thousand whatever. I've been doing this since twenty twenty. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, not even a pandemic uh, can hold back my compositions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I would I would encourage people to do that as as this medium in the marching arts, like we talked about, it, it is so atypical in regards to the outdoor environment that it's fueled by football, that should we appease the audience or the judges or the students, or yes, all of them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what the nature of that is. But there, there's work out there. there. There's so much work out there for you to start uh, your freelancing endeavors, like to create your own, in a sense, personal business. At entrepreneurial work for yourself in, in regards to exactly what you're studying because if you want your music played marching band's a thing like it's I, I can label less groups that like like it's hard to find groups that don't have that activity in some capacity in some lights unless it's a private school or just an, an area of which they've never had it before so establishing that communication reaching out to directors and uh yeah, just providing your work. There's so much work out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, don't forget and... to practice. That's important too. Don't stop writing. Wingling 40 hours. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, um, I mean, there are so many marching bands out there. Um, it's near, it's com- uh, comparable to like chamber groups almost. Um, like uh, you were saying, if you want your piece played, marching band's the way to go. There are a lot of call for scores for uh, concert bands and uh, orchestras, um, less so orchestras. But really, those are co- all competitions, and the likelihood of you actually getting it played is so low. But mm. the likelihood of you getting a chamber piece played, well, if you have friends, um, unlike myself, that you think <laughs> um, that <laughs> um, that are capable and great players, um, you you can get that uh, you can get that played. But also, there are high schools around you, and there are not very many composers that are willing to write for marching band for the reasons that we have just spent an hour and fifteen minutes explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so, if you reach out to there, it's much. Uh, it's a much higher probability of you actually getting your pieces not only played, uh, but rehearsed and performed um, than it is for a concert band or an orchestra, especially orchestra. Yeah, and and if you're wanting to improve how you layer textures or your pacing, I guess you could say, in regards to how long are certain motifs presented, like what's the Mm -hmm. ebb and flow of what you're doing, you'll, you'll definitely experience it, you know, tenfold in the marching environment like you just you just will because if if there's not a lot of middle texture there it's going to be immediate uh for yourself you'll say oh is it because i didn't write those textures there or is it because the instrumentation of this group is different and i should have adapted in a different way um mm-hmm. yeah it's just a fun experiment mm-hmm So, I don't, I don't 
feel that there's much else to uh, talk about with this. It, especially, I mean, there, there's a lot more we can go into, but it's not really applying to um, the topic. Yeah. Composing. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. We we branched off a lot, and um, there's a lot of information that has been uh, uh, put out, and it's really good uh, information. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, and I was wondering um, before we before we uh, close up before we end this podcast, um, do you have any uh, plugs that you want to you know plug in? Um, like social media, like I'm Tim Sexton. Hey, look at me. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, shameless plugs. Let's see. Shameless plugs for tonight. Let's go ahead and say, buy Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two, the re-edition. Uh, it came out today. Greatly it did. Yeah, greatly anticipated remake of their classic video game. Uh, I know I'm going to Target <laughs> at, right after this because you know payday was today, and I'm gonna play Tony Hawk all night. Uh, nice. <laughs> Heck yeah. Other than that, uh, just look look for involvement. Whether you are a composer who's thinking about marching realm, just look for involvement in what you're currently studying and trying to, not necessarily what you can get from it, but how can you give that to others. Um, reach out to schools who might, you know, be interested in your services and grow and learn from that. That's just the biggest thing. Nothing can, nothing can replace experience. And I think that that's excellent. And with that in mind, experience our motto in 2020, if it happens. Yeah. I mean, you mean 2021? Oh yeah. 2021. Yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's a over <laughs> this the year, year didn't thing. happen. November. I yeah. get it. I get it. November is auditions. We'll see. We'll see you then. <laughs> um, if it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's scary. Um, yeah. So, this is a. This has been a really fun podcast. Yeah, I've um, had a good time. So much thanks for, for coming on, Tim. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate y'all for sure. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we look uh, hammered out what you're looking for and. Also, you know, just discussed a couple of things that were related that we weren't looking for that were fun, you know? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some cool stuff. Um, so anyway, um, thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, and thank you, viewers. Uh, I mean, listeners for, well, listening, <laughs> I guess. So anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, so take care. Yeah. And take note. See you guys. <laughs>